Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Canada's new COVID passport leads to a lot of questions. We're going to hopefully uh, clarify those issues in the days ahead. Clearing up confusion before you travel. The court forces Rollies to close. This sends a message that this is the enforcement that can take place. The judge's reason for granting an injunction to lock the doors. And Vancouver police search for a man caught on camera waving a gun around. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. If you are among the 3.7 million British Columbians who have downloaded your proof of vaccination, you might have to do it all over again. National vaccine passports are on the way for those who want to travel by air or cross the border by land. But as Richard Zussman reports, It'll be a while before B.C. falls in line. When you board a plane, a train, travel across an international border, get ready to show your Canadian COVID-19 immunization passport. As Canadians look to start traveling again, there will be a standardized proof of vaccination certificate. Starting November 30th, the passport will be the only documentation accepted for this travel, showing proof of full immunization. We have Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, and all three provinces, uh, all three territories, who already have put into use uh, the national standard for proof of vaccination. Missing British Columbia. The province has agreed to join in, but for now, the BC vaccine card downloaded by 3.7 million people here won't link up to the federal card. The federal government's test is much higher for international travel, and we said so at the time that we implemented our uh, immunization card. For example, starting in November, if you go to a restaurant, you'll be required to show your BC vaccine card. But then if you decide to get on a flight, float plane or otherwise, you'll be required to show the federal card. Confusion, the premier says he hopes to address. You're going to need two at the moment, and we'll see how we go in the months ahead, how we can uh, bring those two together. At this point, the federal card isn't available for download, something expected to change by October 30th. Another thing the province is hoping will change, the requirement to produce a negative PCR test when traveling, now costing around $200. The notion that a a three-day-old test received in Vancouver is going to be good enough in Bellingham two days later doesn't make sense to me. Airlines and now BC's hospitality sector joining calls to scrap the test to re-enter Canada, saying it's keeping travelers away, especially while some are looking to book and attend big conferences and events. If we miss this next loop for the remainder of 2021 and 2022, they won't be back until 2026. A long way away for those hoping to get back to some semblance of normal as quickly as possible. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
Yeah, the Canadian government has lifted a blanket global travel advisory to avoid all travel due to COVID-19. The advisory had been in effect since the spring of 2020. Now, instead of the umbrella advisory, Ottawa reverts to country-specific advisories. For example, to travel to the United States, Canadians are told to exercise normal security precautions. But Venezuela is one of 16 countries where Canadians are advised to avoid all travel. Well, the B.C. business community is wary tonight of changes to federal programs designed to help businesses get through the pandemic in one piece. As Ted Trenecki reports, it's worried that the more targeted approach and the new higher standards will leave many businesses out in the cold this winter. To hear it from the Deputy Prime Minister. We have now recovered 100% of the jobs lost in the pandemic. So where are they? Still pretty quiet where tourists once scurried about in the downtown core. Many of the office towers are far from full. Downtown restaurants are quiet too. Which is why Ottawa today said it is extending rent and wage subsidies to May but only for hard-hit tourism and hospitality. The government has been very good in listening to the business community and understanding where the, the deepest impacts of the pandemic have been felt. So we encourage the government to continue listening, to understand if there's businesses that don't qualify here and to be open to changes. For most everyone outside hospitality and tourism, both rent and wage subsidies end this weekend. There are new programs to replace them, but only for businesses that can prove they're still taking heavy losses. So think about that. You're a restaurant and you're down, um, you know, you're down 35 percent and you're not qualifying for any help right now. Um, And for other businesses, you can be down 45 percent and not qualify for any help, even though there's still government restrictions in place that are really affecting your ability to 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 make sales. And then there's the question of defining what is and isn't a tourism or hospitality related business. The details, though, we haven't seen them yet. And so we're looking to the government to provide details about which businesses are going to be covered under these new subsidies and those that won't. And heaven forbid this pandemic suddenly becomes worse. It will be there and will be able to snap back into place immediately for workers. The Deputy Prime Minister promises that that includes any sudden new lockdowns where business finds it has to again close completely. Ted Chernacki, Global News. The latest fight between a Hope restaurant and Fraser Health is over, at least for now, with the health authority coming out on top in court. John Waugh shows us why a B.C. Supreme Court justice ruled Rowley's Diner is wrong to defy public health orders. After a month of steady defiance, time to fight. Rowley's became a beacon for those who resisted the province's proof of vaccination order. The vaccines could do a lot of harm if they're not properly tested. But now the Hope restaurant, which remained in the dark for the past two days, has been shut down indefinitely by the B.C. Supreme Court. If you're not prepared to follow the rules that everyone else is living under uh, in a civil society, there are consequences, and we've seen that. The judge approving an injunction to enforce a Fraser Health closure order on the restaurant after it defiantly remained open even after it had its business and liquor licenses pulled. This sends a message that uh, this is the enforcement that can take place. This can have a serious uh, impact uh, financially on, uh, on your business. 
In his decision, Justice Andrew Mayer explained, The operators of Rowley's Diner were intentionally allowing the congregation of unvaccinated individuals at the restaurant, constituting a health hazard under the Public Health Act. Adding, it is not the court's role to second-guess decisions of public health officials with respect to what activities constitute a health risk to the people of British Columbia. If they're smart, uh, they will follow the provincial health orders. If not, uh, they may well find themselves uh, uh, in even you know, more trouble than just having their business license uh, pulled. On Wednesday, Rowley's owner Marlene Abeling told the court that public health did not supersede the rights of the people and admitted to remaining open. When the decision was read, including the judge thanking her for her honesty, Abeling had nothing else to say. They choose to respect the medical privacy of their patrons. The injunction means no one can operate the restaurant or interfere with the posting of the closure order. The judge stressed the RCMP is expected to enforce the ruling because defying the court comes with even greater consequences. John Hua, Global News, Hope. Well, let's get a check now of our COVID-19 numbers in B.C. We have 715 new cases. That moves B.C. across the 200,000 total case number since the pandemic began. Currently, we have 4,965 active cases. 377 people are in hospital with 136 of those patients in ICU. There have been four more deaths from complications of COVID-19, including a person in their 30s and 83.8% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry is here now with a closer look at the unvaccinated staff in long-term care mm -hmm. and what we can expect when that vaccine mandate deadline kicks in next week, Keith. Yeah, Health Minister Asian Nudix announced last week about 2,000 people in long-term care and assisted living had yet to get a single dose. But for the, for the first time today, we're getting a breakdown of the actual occupations. And it may surprise you to see the number of frontline health care workers in long-term care not being vaccinated. So direct care, that top line there, that's nurses and care aides. And look at the number there on the right. 4% is low, but 1,297 individuals right now unvaccinated. They will not be, they haven't been able to come to work for a, couple, for a week now because the the rules are you have to be vaccinated long-term long care and assisted living. Uh, lower number in support services, but the percentage is, is the same. Administration is the lowest of all. Overall, though, almost 1,800 people in long-term care, 4%, uh, are not vaccinated. They're off their job. Now, if you take this and apply it to the broader health care sector and acute care and community health care, which kicks in next Tuesday, 4%, we could be looking at as many as 1,500 nurses not being able to come to work on Tuesday when the health order kicks in takes effect because they have yet to get a single dose of vaccine. The numbers are very troubling and the implication is we are going to see more cancellation of surgeries because so many frontline healthcare workers simply won't be able to uh, come to work uh, because they're not, not uh, vaccinated with at least one dose. And hopefully those numbers come down in the coming weeks. But I think the next week or so is going to be critical in our healthcare system because so many professionals are going to be off the job. Good news is I got word late this afternoon there's been a real uptick in doctors who were not vaccinated finally getting their vaccination. So we'll have have not as many doctors off the job as was first feared, but the nurses uh, and other healthcare workers are going to be off more than 5,000 and counting. All right. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Thanks, Keith. BC's 60 school boards are still waiting for word on whether they can move forward with their own vaccine mandates. I think it's important that we start down this path. 
The Greater Victoria School Board has unanimously approved a motion to begin the development and implementation of safety procedures on a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for employees in that district. But before anything can be put in place, the district and many others are awaiting a framework from the B.C. Public School Employers Association to guide what's being called an unprecedented decision. We've never had anywhere in education the requirement of a medical procedure as a uh, condition of employment. So what boards need to do first and what they're ready to do is take these guidelines, look through them and understand the implications to the operations of their school districts. They're also going to make sure that, um, that they can work closely with their employee groups and, and understand the scope of the issue. In a statement, the BC Public School Employers Association confirms Quote, sector leaders came together quickly and have been working hard to create guidance and resources that will support the K-12 public education sector to make and implement decisions. Details are expected in the coming days. Well, today is day four of Variety Week here on Global, and we're blown away by the generosity of British Columbians who come together in times of need. British Columbians like Vivian Shaw, who loved supporting kids in her community of Prince George. That's right, and your donations tonight will be matched by her estate, up to $50,000. Her legacy is creating a future where special needs kids in B.C. are thriving, and we are trying to reach a goal this week of helping Variety support 700 kids by the end of tomorrow's news hour. So please, if you're able, call 310-KIDS or go to variety.bc.ca to help Variety help kids. A shocking threat is captured on camera. Vancouver police release video of a man waving a gun around. The effort to find him next on the news hour. The winner of the record-setting Lotto Max jackpot comes forward. The spur-of-the-moment decision that changed her life later. Just one of the nicest things that anyone's ever done. Thank you. Aw. And what had NDP House Leader Mike Farnworth all choked up today at the B.C. Legislature? Aw. So sweet. Mm -hmm. All right, right now, Vancouver police are trying to locate a man who was seen walking around downtown with what appeared to be a gun. The VPD says witnesses reported the man walking north on Granville Street by Nordstrom on Tuesday morning, holding and pointing what looks like a firearm. And then you see him make a cutting motion across his neck, but it's unclear whether he was making that gesture to someone, in spe or someone specifically or out of the camera view. He was later seen walking through Nordstrom and Pacific Center Mall. What's very concerning about this is we don't uh, know who this man is. We don't know if the gun was real or not, and we don't know what his intention was. We need people to call police. Um, unfortunately, we were called an hour after the incident happened, so we weren't able to locate him. Take a good look. Police say he is white, 50 years old, about five foot eight and 175 pounds. He has short black curly hair, a dark goatee, and he was wearing glasses. Anyone out there who recognizes this man or has any more information is asked to call the VPD. Well, changes are coming to how Vancouver police deal with suspects when it comes to handcuffing. The VPD board met today to reconsider its policy after some high-profile cases brought into question the current practice. As Catherine Urquhart tells us, new guidelines kick in tomorrow.
It was December 2019 when Maxwell Johnson and his 12-year-old granddaughter Tori were handcuffed by Vancouver police officers. It happened after a Bank of Montreal branch employee mistakenly reported a fraud in progress. So hard to see her being handcuffed out in the street in Vancouver. Now, nearly two years later, Vancouver police have a new interim handcuffing policy, one that encourages officers to use their discretion. I feel that this is going to be very much progressive relative to other major departments across the country. The interim policy was approved at a police board meeting Thursday. It states in part, the use of handcuffs or other restraints to restrain a person is a use of force, the arrest of a person does not always provide the grounds to handcuff, and the use of handcuffs to restrain a person must be reasonable, proportionate to the potential risk, and necessary to fulfill a legitimate policing objective. Well, I think it's overdue for uh, First Nations people and other people of color. You know, um, they say it's their discretion whether or not to handcuff or not to handcuff people that are that are being detained. Um, and I hope every uh, police member abides by this new rule. We would have expected to be consulted, particularly when it was a result of, you know, the incident that happened with uh, Max and, and his granddaughter. Vancouver police also faced criticism for handcuffing 81-year-old retired judge Selwyn Romilly. That happened in May on the seawall as officers searched for a suspect described as a 40 to 50 year old dark skinned man. Also announced at the board meeting additional anti racism training. There are a number of themes in that. I believe it's a full day training component. Within that training, uh, there is an anti racism um, module. Vancouver police say the interim handcuffing policy is a placeholder pending recommendations that may result from investigations by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner and the Human Rights Tribunal. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Just ahead, a two-time hero. I untied my boat, I started my boat, and I told my nephew, cut my lines loose, we need to go over and help. How he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And later, a wheelchair that provides a lot more than mobility to a BC boy who really needs it, thanks to your donations to Variety. Good evening. Traffic is fully recovered over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge after clearing an earlier crash southbound at the north end. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Variety is stepping in to help a boy with dwarfism who lives with his grandmother and doesn't qualify for any financial support through the government. Because of his mobility challenges, Angelo needs a specialized $17,000 power wheelchair to help him get around independently. And his grandmother had no way to pay for it on her own. Angelo loves playing soccer. But his condition limits him from playing as often as he would like. Angelo's diagnosed with achondroplasia, which is a genetic condition um, characterized by dwarfism. He has um, a lot of joint instability, which results in a lot of knee pain for him and a lot of fatigue. Angelo used a manual wheelchair when he got tired. However, that chair was difficult to operate on his own. 
So his grandmother needed to help push him. It's hard. Yeah, pushing especially uphill, right? And my hands get tired. Yeah. Gemma knew they needed something more for Angelo. But $17,000 for a power wheelchair was more than she could afford on her own. Angelo, unfortunately, is not funded through the government's at-home program. He is too independent with his personal care, which is a good thing, but it presents a lot of challenges finding funding. So we are very fortunate that we found the funding through Variety to help buy this chair. But I'm still a little bit nervous by himself. Angelo's chair also has a seat elevator, which allows him to raise to the same level as his friends and family. If Angelo and his peers wanted to go into a convenience store, for example, he would be able to pick out his own snacks. He'd be able to go up to the counter and actually raise the seat height to do his own money uh, management. That's a, a huge functional independence for him. I've seen his confidence rise already, and I can only imagine that it'll give him um, a sense of accomplishment to be able to do these things on his own for the first time, really. Thanks to Variety, Angelo will finally be able to go places on his own and experience the independence he's been missing. His power chair will also allow him to rest his muscles and conserve his energy for things he really wants to do, like get back to playing soccer. Thanks, Variety, for my wheelchair. Awesome. Thank you very much, Angelo, and your grandma for sharing your story with us. What a difference that chair is going to make. And you should know there are still 21 more children waiting for their mobility grants to be approved by Variety. So please, if you can, call 310 Kids now and have your donation doubled by the estate of Vivian Shaw. And thank you so much for your generosity. Well, we are hearing tonight from the man who rescued four people from a sinking float plane that crashed in the waters off Tofino this week. And as Paul Johnson reports, this isn't the first time the Hausen fisherman has jumped into action to save others. If you've ever been to the Tofino waterfront, you've seen them. The ubiquitous water taxi boats, most of them owned and operated by local First Nations people. They are a critical link to isolated spots on the Pacific coast. So I tied up here waiting for passengers to come. And as I tied up here and I was talking to my, my nephew. Kenny Brown has been a fixture in this economy for years, running his water taxi and doing some commercial fishing. Except when he's called on for extraordinary service. I knew right away that I had to jump into action to, to go and help. He's talking about Monday, when a float plane coming into land collided with another water taxi that was underway. That plane was damaged and likely to sink. Brown knew exactly what to do. My initial reaction was, OK, I'm either going to grab this plane and start towing it towards the dock and tie it up, or I'm going to start offloading people off the plane and get them to safety. Maneuvering through the ocean chop and carefully making contact with the stricken plane. Brown met the first of his rescuees. When the door opened, I, I saw this little boy and this father. He opened the door and by now the plane was starting to sink super fast, just, just in a matter of seconds. Of the six people on that plane, Brown got four of them off. Other boats rescued the remaining two and no one ended up being seriously injured. I guess even though it's a day or two later, I'm, I'm still stunned. 
Well, that act in itself is worthy of recognition. Almost six years ago to the day, Brown's was among the handful of local boats that responded to the Leviathan 2 tragedy, the whale-watching boat that capsized after getting hit by a rogue wave. Six people died in what was the worst nautical disaster on the coast in decades. But it would have been much worse had it not been for people like Brown. He alone was credited with saving 11 people in that accident. With a career rescue count now at 15. If you ever have the misfortune of being involved in a maritime SOS, you can only hope someone like Kenny Brown is nearby. I try to stray away from being called a hero, honestly. I, I try. I'm real humble. Paul Johnson, Global News. They are thankful to have him on the water there. Just ahead, danger on Vancouver streets. On average, four assaults uh, a day um, between strangers. The crime analysis that discovered an alarming trend. And an emotional exchange in the legislature today, proving political foes can also be good friends. Join Variety, the children's charity, and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week, October 18th to 22nd. Tune in to Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. BC. A little bit of leftover volume here for northbound traffic out of Delta to the Massey Tunnel. They pulled the counterflow lane a little bit late this evening, and that's the reason why. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay-in-your-car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Crime data shows four people are assaulted by complete strangers on average every day. That startling conclusion comes from new research by Vancouver police. Overall, the number of assaults in the city has barely budged over the past couple of years, but as Jordan Armstrong reports, the high number of unprovoked and random attacks is alarming. Lunchtime in Vancouver's West End, and a man screams at strangers walking by. No physical violence is witnessed here, but police say it appears to be on the rise. So these are people that have um, no relationship to each other. From a driver attacked in traffic, to a homeless man shot with an arrow, to a shopper having his throat cut from behind, police say Vancouver is averaging four random assaults per day, something that VPD crime analysts didn't track until recently. They actually had to read... um, hundreds of files to actually find out what kind of assault it was because when an assault happens it's just coded as an assault. After crunching the numbers on reported assaults between September 1st 2020 and August 31st of this year police found 1,555 unprovoked stranger assaults involving 1,705 victims. 
Of those files, 47% involved weapons and 28% involved suspects with diagnosed mental illness. Just over three quarters of the victims were male. You go with it and you're building up tarnished energy. In the Davie Village, mixed reaction to the numbers. You know, I've gotten jumped personally a few times. Really? It's getting pretty bad. We're anticipating moving out of downtown. Um, we kind of thought about it before, just kind of how the shift has gone over the last two years, but um, definitely. Basically, you know, if you stick to yourself and you're just a normal citizen, I think you're, you're, you're having a great time here. On social media, critics were quick to point out that the number of overall assaults has remained relatively constant and that city council is weeks away from debating VPD funding. Is this about budget time? This is about educating the public. Uh, by no means are we trying to instill fear on the public. We are simply educating them, letting them, giving them the reality of what's going on. The reality, according to these men, random assaults are just another side effect of a province that's yet to get serious about untreated mental illness and addiction. There's no support Absolutely for that. Not. No, none. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, we're learning more tonight about why respiratory illnesses are hitting earlier and harder than in years past in this province. Kamal Karamali has more on what the experts are saying and how these illnesses have turned some families' lives upside down. There you go. Lately, it's been rare to see the Barahona family this happy. It's terrifying. I don't bring him out. I'm scared. Little nine-month-old Logan has been in and out of hospital 20 times over the last two months with a respiratory illness. There's a risk of his lungs collapsing because he's so little. Now his mom Jasmine was told there could be long-lasting impacts to her son's health. He will have asthma going into his teens and probably into adulthood as well. Stories of respiratory viruses have been circulating almost as fast as the bugs themselves. Really kind of out of nowhere. He didn't have a cold before anything. Just ask Amanda Clark and her two-year-old son, Arthur. Pretty much all of his peers right now, all our, all my friends' kids have something respiratory going on right now. The BC Centre for Disease Control shows the rates for respiratory illnesses rapidly rising. Since mid-August, it surpassed the historical average and continues to climb. BC Children's Hospital says one-third of its emergency department visits have been for respiratory viral illnesses. We are seeing um, longer than normal wait times at the moment. Surrey School Board also said that the number of students absent in the last week of September this year was 10% higher compared to 2019. We are seeing these illnesses coming on maybe a month or two earlier. Hitting earlier and hitting harder. In 2020, people were physically distant, wearing masks and washing hands more frequently. Health experts believe that's what led to the incredibly low numbers of respiratory illnesses last year. But it also led to a lack of immunity being built in children, leading to this year's virus tearing through paper-thin immune systems. These are kids who don't normally have it hitting them hitting them this early or even just hitting them like they are normally able to run around with their cough and cold and runny nose and it, it is knocking them a bit uh, a bit stronger than they're used to bolstering a continued call for families to get their flu shot Kamal Kramali Global News still ahead the 70 million dollar winner steps forward congratulations on winning the largest Lottomax lottery in British Columbia history her reaction to becoming one of the wealthiest people in the province and a local band hitting the right note to stamp out racism.
You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A pretty remarkable scene today in the BC legislature, usually a battleground for partisan political warfare. Yeah, but today all parties came together for a few minutes to pay tribute to NDP House Leader Mike Farnworth on the 30th anniversary of his career in BC politics. The honor that he has shown for his uh, constituents uh, through those uh, three de decades and serving them, the honor he's shown to this institution. And uh, the honor, I think we all feel, hundreds of members, past and present, who have uh, had the honor to serve with him. For the new members, this is absolutely a teachable moment about how decent people come here from every corner of the province with different perspectives and a different way of getting to a better life for our friends and our neighbors and our communities. We are humans here. We are colleagues, we are friends, and uh, Thank you for always bringing it back to that. I just want to say thank you. It's just one of the nicest things that anyone's ever done. Thank you. Oh, I need tissue now. That was so good. And he's always so good with a comment for us when we call, when we call on him. He, he gives can, good clip. He gives good clip. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. But I, I can get how that throat yeah. closes up when you get emotional. Congratulations anyway. on your 30 years, Mike Farnworth. Thank you for all that service. Okay, let's check in uh, on the weather now. And what is all of this talk about a mm -hmm. bomb cyclone? It just, I just don't <laughs> like it. No one does. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to not worry about it too much. A bomb cyclone is sitting offshore, and it's one of the reasons why you likely felt the warmth today. We hit 20 degrees in some parts of the south coast today. YVR, 18 degrees. We're talking about 6 to 8 degrees above seasonal. Here's a look at the bomb cyclone on the satellite image. It's churning off the coast and is weakening as it travels north. But we are on the other end of it where we're dealing with, or we will be seeing the uh, rainfall from the cold front as it swings through. But ahead of that, that, we had these strong outflow easterly winds and uh, that's what caused the temperatures to really skyrocket across the region. Now we are starting to see the rainfall. We've had wind warnings across Vancouver Island. Those have ended, although off the northwest corner of Vancouver Island, just, you know, not too far from that low pressure center, uh, wind gusts up to 161 kilometers an hour. That's like a category two hurricane. But again, that's really the worst of it for our region from this storm number one. Now we've got another Another one on deck tomorrow some rainfall for the interior from the cold front that we'll see tonight but the next one is on Saturday morning so once again wet and windy conditions for the soccer players out there this one though not too major the biggest one actually that I'm concerned about is Sunday and Monday this one here this one looks very intense now we will start to see the rainfall on Sunday but it's more so late Sunday into Monday when the low pressure center itself moves further inland or closer to the coast that that's when we're concerned about possible power outages so damaging winds. It's still a couple of days away so I'm really urging everyone to pay attention, keep tuning back in, but be aware Sunday into Monday we could have damaging winds certainly and rain across the region. In the meantime your Friday periods of rain for the south coast we're talking about just a few showers, breaks of blue sky as well, uh, but the most 
majority of the rainfall will happen overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow. Again, rain on the Saturday morning, drier later on, but the biggest storm will be Sunday into Monday for our region. And tonight, we don't have a central windows weather window. Uh, we'll be able to update you on that tomorrow. We had some computer problems here in the weather department, but nonetheless, there was lots going on, and we'll be uh, giving you a heads up on the Sunday-Monday storm. I'm sure it'll generate a lot more weather window pictures. All right, thanks, Christy. No doubt it will. All right, a Burnaby woman has won the largest Lotto Max jackpot ever in B.C., and it was pure chance that she bought the winning ticket in the first place. Christine Lozon went to the Shoppers Drug Mart on Hastings Street last month to buy a package of peanuts. But on a whim, she decided to add a Lotto Max ticket for the September 28th draw. Her spur-of-the-moment decision paid off as she won the $70 million jackpot. Probably the first thing was for me was to swear because I couldn't believe it. Probably swear out to this moment, everything was first, and probably let it let this settle a bit. Lazan says she wants to give some of her winnings to her immediate family and will take some time deciding on which causes she might want to donate some money to. Congratulations. Congratulations, Christine. Yeah, a little nervous coming forward, as anybody would be after mm -hmm. a $70 million win for sure. Here's Choir now with a look ahead to sports. Okay, uh, Vanny Sartini says he knew the Vancouver Whitecaps would come back from 2-0 down against Portland last night. The first five minutes on the second half, I was already confident that uh, we were going to push till the end. We will show you his halftime speech, the one that rallied his guys to a huge win on the road. It is epic. You don't want to miss it. Also tonight, Asian persuasion. Musicians working to eliminate hate with every performance. All right, here's Squire now with a look at sports. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, well, can the Vancouver Canucks make us all forget what happened Tuesday in Buffalo? They are in Chicago tonight to play a Blackhawks team that hasn't won a game yet this season. The Canucks do have Quinn Hughes back in the lineup from whatever was bothering him before, but they decided not to play Vasily Podkolzin. Okay, Patrick Kane actually had his 1,000th game last season, but there were no fans, so they decided to give him the silver stick in front of the home fans tonight. He, of course, has had a Hall of Fame career, sometimes at the expense of the Canucks. Oh, Jason Dickinson scores for Vancouver. That makes it one nothing for the Canucks. But then on the power play, the aforementioned Patrick Kane will set up Alex Dabrinkit. Kane, Kane, Dabrinkit, goal. 1-1. Then Dabrinkit almost knocks Tyler Myers out of the game. Oh, Takes the slap shot off the part of the knee that there might not have been much padding. But the big guy is okay. He shakes that one off. Quinn Hughes' brother Jack is hurt right now, but his injury is worse than Quinn's was. He suffered a dislocated shoulder on this Jeremy Lozon hit Tuesday against Seattle. He's been put on injured reserve out indefinitely. The good news, though, is he doesn't need surgery. He will be re-evaluated next week. All right, Vanny Sartini is technically just the Whitecaps' interim head coach. He is the temp. But the way things are going, the Whitecaps really don't have to interview anybody else for the job. They just have to erase the word interim and give it to Mr. Sartini. He has Vancouver back in a playoff spot with four games to go, thanks to last night's 3-2 comeback win over Portland. And a fine run here for Dyberg Caicedo, who's got room and 
find some space beyond Steve Clark. Comebacks have been something the Whitecaps have been good at all season. They have 21 points when not scoring the first goal, which is tops in the entire league. But Vanny Sartini says the players need to believe in themselves at the start of games, not just when they fall behind, as they did against Portland. I think that uh, we were still too shy and not aware that we are a very good team. So the first one to be aware that we are good uh, needs to be us. And Vanny believes in his squad. He told them at halftime last night they would win, even though they were down by two goals. First of all, go with everything, but don't be crazy. Eh? We need to stay in the game against this defense. We can score two goals in the last 10 minutes. So we need to stay in the game till the end, because tonight we win. And Vanny was right. They won. Second half was amazing. Uh, everyone did fantastically. And uh, so uh, at, at this moment, I have to be honest, I have no idea what I'm telling you because I'm a little bit, but it's, uh, but it's okay. We're very happy. <laughs> okay, here's something weird. There are two professional football teams nicknamed the Lions, BC and Detroit. Both have coaches whose last name is Campbell. Both teams are having subpar seasons so far, although BC's is not as bad as Detroit. The Lions haven't won a game in the NFL. The CFL Lions are four and five, but they have lost three in a row, and they play first place Winnipeg on Sunday. Riley throwing off his back foot, intercepted, and that could go back. It's a time of year when a team wants to build momentum going into the playoffs, but the Lions have stalled out, and now just making the playoffs will take a lot of hard work. BC has lost three straight, the last two of them by blowouts humbling home losses where the team looked defeated on the field and on the sidelines. You know, we got to light that fire under ourselves um, and understand that every game is going to be a battle. You know, we're in the playoffs right now. We're not working to get in the playoffs. We're in the playoffs. Every game is a must win. I just want us to go in and compete with uh, great passion and effort, which our guys do, and I've seen them do it this year, and that's what I'm, I'm expecting on Saturday. The Lions have scored just 19 points in their last two games. They need to find some answers offensively. So they've made some changes, including bringing in former Lion receiver Devere Posey. But he will make his debut against the number one team and defense in the league. Winnipeg has allowed a CFL low 12 points per game. Like it's a gift to be able to go and put your stuff up against you know people who are playing the best right now. You know, it's also an opportunity to put you know put your work up against theirs. The Lions are 11-point underdogs. Judging by the way they've played, that might be low. But despite the struggles, the one thing they still have is hope. Hope they can still make a run and get into the playoffs. I hope that what I know is true you know, comes to fruition, that, that we're a great football team. We can compete with anybody. So it's just about putting it together. Maybe they need a good Vanny Sartini halftime speech. That might get them going. <laughs> we need to play that. <laughs> All the time, everywhere, because it's very inspiring. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Squire. Up next, harmony over hatred. The new Vancouver supergroup taking on racism with a little rock and roll. This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. A local band is hitting all the right notes to fight racism. On tonight's This Is BC, Jay Durant introduces us to a group making a very persuasive argument with music. We are the Asian Persuasion All-Stars, and this is Big in the Body, Small in the Mind. One, two, 
You can call them a supergroup of sorts. Many of these musicians have been on the Vancouver scene for decades now, each performing in their own respective bands. But they've come together, some meeting for the first time not too long ago, galvanized after seeing racist attacks in the Asian community. Very disgusted. It's terrible, and it's very, it's very cowardly. These are, are you know, our nieces, our, our, our mothers, our, our, our aunts, uncles. There is power in numbers, and in just a few short months, the 12 band members have been doing everything they can to lend their voice to fight anti-Asian racism. They released a cover of the reggae classic Racist Friend. And they held a live show at Lana Luz in Vancouver. All proceeds from both initiatives going towards the Eliminate Hate organization that is working to put an end to anti-Asian racism. You know, I've seen the videos they've done, um, some of the programs they, they initiate. Um, you know, they, 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 they go out and they communicate via social media. They'll continue to support the community by opening up the Vancouver Asian Film Festival next month with another live performance. Here is a group that's band together and said, this is something as a community we won't stand for, and we're going to shout it from the rooftops, and we're going to use our music and all our abilities to fight against it. The band describes their experience so far as uplifting. For now, the rehearsals will continue, and the music will go on for as long as it takes. We like to say, we, we're going to keep doing this until uh, racism is eliminated. I'd love to just... Keep, uh, keep the momentum flowing because um, it's been a, just a great experience. Jay Durant, Global News. Love that ska vibe. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you want to share, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And just before we update you on Variety, you have something you want to show us, Square. Well, they, they actually were very kind to send me a patch. See? Nice. So you can put that on your jean jacket. It'd be very cool. <laughs> I, thank you for that. That's great. Would love to see a show. All right. Thanks uh, for that, Squire. We are drawing to the end of Variety Week, almost. And BC, you have shown your heart. You've shown no child should go without the life-altering equipment and services they so desperately need. And today, the estate of Vivian Shaw has provided a generous donation to Variety during the news hour pushing our kid count to 475 with almost $1.2 million in donations so far. We've got a long way to go, but we want to thank you for really coming together to help these kids. And there is still time, so call 310-KIDS, and let's try to push that number closer to 500, maybe even more than that. Thank you so much, BC, for everything you've given so far. Okay, final word on the weather, Christy. Sure. So we will see rainfall overnight tonight. It will ease to just a chance of showers tomorrow. We may even see some breaks of blue sky, but overall this weekend is going to be a wet one. So make sure you keep tuning in, you guys, because uh, we've got a lot more details that will come out. Got it. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching. Night all.